As someone who recently experienced a wedding night, I would like to ask the both of you, what was the, you know, <laughs> the least impressive present you've ever received for a holiday? Given my Boudin exact- status. Um, I had received as part of a white elephant gift a um, portable urinal. I don't think that's a bad present at all. I was 10. Even better. Uh, (laughs) I mean, when you're 10, like how many activities get interrupted for want of a a need for a leak? Exactly. I mean, you could just put it right beside the bed and you'd take care of that whole bedwetting problem. Just... (laughs) <laughs> oh no! I still wore diapers, and I—that's why it didn't matter to me. Well, so it, it. He Michael does have the night terrors, so it's understandable. That it is known. I do. Honestly, I, I for me, probably just socks. I mean, who wants socks at you know at any age? I loved getting socks. That was honestly what I told my wife I wanted for my birthday. <laughs> I'm like socks and underwear, and she got me a large amount of socks, and I spent the next month just going through them and it was beautiful i wear shorts and sandals all the time so i refuse to put little prisons on my feet i have to wear socks for work (laughs) the the glory of working from home and actually Ah. not not at the current job that i've worked at the past five years before we went work from home i did have to wear shoes but at the previous job i was an auditor for a telecommunications expense management company and during the interview process they said well yeah you know we expect business uh casual and i said okay well then i'll be taking a different offer and they said what why and i said i really hate wearing pants and shoes i'm not gonna lie i'm a shorts and sandals guy all the time so they made an exception for me and they said that uh i could work as an auditor there i could wear shorts and sandals and uh the only time i had to wear pants and shoes is if a client was coming to the office they'd give me a heads up and i could change so i was wearing shorts and sandals all the time just strolling in i remember the first day showed up in my shorts and sandals (laughs) and everybody looked at me like who is this guy (laughs) I'm the new badass on the block. So I own now, now that I work from home, I own two pairs of socks, and that is one too many. Okay. Well, I'm going to course correct here slightly based on what has just been shared, because that the response uh, from Michael ruining that for us, if Bombus ads are to be believed, uh, you know, indigent individuals are also rather related to receive socks. The foundation of their entire company would dictate that uh, they're they're happy to distribute those worldwide. That glorious Pima cotton everybody's all on about constantly. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm going to say the the worst gift that I ever received was this string of episodes. And so, <laughs> by the eternal. Behold, 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 it's the disinformed podcast. I'm Shane, and I'm, I'm Michael. Michael. It's, I know, now Michael will have synced this in the edit every time, so none of you are going to see this, but there will someday be a supercut of every attempt to synchronize, and I will say, though, for the record, in defense of the both of these gentlemen, they synchronized perfectly on the first time that the I'm Michael was going to happen, and, you know, every point after that, it's just the law of diminishing returns. Because it was unintentional the first okay. time, and we've shot for the moon every time okay. since, and it failed miserably. You know, I feel like yep. if you just you set a cadence of like one eanda, you, you're <sighs> that's, both that's, music that's, lovers. That's making, I mean, that's making that's effort. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. We're recording this show. Effort is not required. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, shit. Rewind. Too um, late. Okay. So what we usually do on this show, besides not put effort into it, is we like to talk about random esoteric nonsense and lie about it. But the joy of the show is that we will tell you what we fibbed about at the end of the episode so you do not actually leave disinformed, much to the chagrin of a few conservative folk out there who are likely going to be greatly incensed by the content of this particular installment in the Christmas saga. That's right, and if you know some uncles or cousins that would be upset at the past few episodes and this current one, please share this podcast with them. Give them the gift that keeps yes. on giving this Christmas season. The Saturnalia like saga. Yeah, let's trigger some people. Do it. Um, starting with two lies. I was about to say, hang Mike Pence. <laughs> well, no, that would make them happy. Um, well, you asked me to trigger people. That's I. No, wrong people. Wrong people. <laughs> Damn it. Um, welcome to part three of our history Christmas spectacular. For those just who just absolutely hate watching anything in order, here's a quick recap. Oh. Uh, in. <laughs> Part one, we covered all sorts of ancient holidays surrounding the winter solstice, from the Inca of modern-day Peru to the ancient Zoroastrians of modern-day Iran, before looking at several ancient civilizations thought to have influenced Christmas in one way or another. We looked briefly at Hanukkah and Yule and talked a lot about the festivities of Saturnalia. In part two, and I will continue to pronounce that word wrong, Uh because you do not tell me how to pronounce it correctly. Um, in part, well, I was going to say Shane hasn't actually said it once yet, so he says that it's the band's upcoming album. No, I, I still, I literally just it. said it forty-five seconds ago, and uh, apparently just slid by the both of you. So, <sighs> boom, goes the dynamite. <laughs> um, in part two, we look, we actually looked at possible theories as to why we started celebrating Christmas on the twenty-fifth of December, and learned a great deal about how often theologians and Historians love to debate. Uh, We then learned about the Aryan controversy and how that caused Christmas to sit on the back burner in regards to Christian holidays for a while, until Charlemagne was crowned Emperor of the Romans on Christmas Day in 18, or I'm sorry, in 800, not 1800, 800. Uh, We then took a good long gander at how cool medieval Christmas was, from feasting and partying for 12 days straight, to dressing up and singing from door to door, to naming a lord of misrule and doing everything they say. Laming them, too. When they're done, they break their legs. Indeed. And also, Mm -hmm. we discovered that's where the king cake came from. Yes. Just happened to begin with, it was begat by a bean. I begat. And now, for part three, we bring it home and learn about what caused Christmas to go from this over-the-top kegger to the present uh, present-laden, family-focused holiday we celebrate Chlamydia. today. Chlamydia. Exactly. That is the, well, and that is the episode. Uh, so, The Real War on Christmas is my next title. I didn't care about the other titles. I wanted this to be known. Mm-hmm. This was The Real War on Christmas. Take that, snowflakes. Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> is this what, is the, this Pizzagate Part 3? Yes, okay. <laughs> yes it is. Um, the medieval type of Christmas celebration lasted throughout the Middle Ages all the way up to the 17th and century. And it's called the Spanish Inquisition. And no one expects them. This time was a 
difficult one of the 17th century was a difficult one if you were a Christian, since this is when we really start seeing the effects of the previous century's Protestant Reformation. Thankfully, many of the new denominations, including the Anglican Church and the Lutheran Church, continued to celebrate Christmas. However, some of the groups, uh, some groups like the Calvinists and the Presbyterian Church of Scotland did not celebrate Christmas, uh, disproving it for its festiveness. The Presbyterian Church of Scotland even discouraged its flock from participating in any merrymaking, and though English King James VI commanded its celebration in 1618, attendance at church was scant. In fact, the Parliament of Scotland officially abolished the observance of Christmas in Scotland in 1640, claiming that the church had been purged of all superstitious observation of days. Whereas, oh, sorry. No, I was just thinking the God also disproved of merrymaking. Exactly. That's why Scotland was like, you know what? No fun. That's also why Joseph was cucked. Exactly. By God. No fun. Whereas Ireland, Wales, and England celebrated Christmas essentially like a federal holiday with all the expectations that come with it, Scotland refused to acknowledge it. It took some 230 years, 1871, for Scotland to actually recognize Christmas as a public holiday. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how badly the Puritans, an extreme minority group within the Anglican Church, strongly condemned the celebration of Christmas. They considered it a Catholic invention, which is fair because it was Catholic, um, technically. I mean, and damn you, Peter. <laughs> and the uh, trappings of popery or the rags of the beast. In, potpourri. Yes, potpourri. <laughs> what I have in my dresser upstairs? Potpourri. Oh, suddenly. Mm. That hat makes a lot more sense now. It's just got mm, smells fresh. bunch of, you know, perfumed wood just shoved mm. on an old man's head as he strolls through crowds of onlookers. That's why everyone loves him so much. Uh, that's also why he has holes in the Popemobile, not so that he can breathe, but so that people can still smell the beautiful scents is, coming from Is this hat. also where the white and black smoke comes from when, they, when they're uh, electing the Pope, as they burn potpourri? <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. See, you already it, know all about it. The baby's it. breath gets um, us the white smoke, right? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in contrast, the Anglican Church wanted more elaborate observ- uh, observance observance of holidays, feasts, saints' days, etc. Uh, this calendar reform was a major point of tension between the Puritans and more mainstream Anglicans. This came to a head following the English Civil War in the mid-17th century, when the parliamentarians, parliamentarians sorry, uh, won and executed the English King Charles I in January of 1649. Take that, um, snowflakes! Exactly. Uh, <laughs> execute King Charles I again. Um, <laughs> during the Civil War, England's Puritan rulers banned Christmas uh, two years prior in 1647. In response, many Englishmen do uh, did um, upon... Do, uh, wow, diddy. This, diddy dumb, diddy do. In response, diddy Englishmen diddy do what they usually do upon being handed a loss... Drink tea. ...in soccer. They rioted. Oh, I see. Hooligany. Oh, yes. all right. All right. Yes. All right. Hooliganism. Yes. Um, Pro Christmas protests and eventually riots broke out. Uh, Canterbury was probably the worst affected, 
um, or best, depending on how you look at it. As for weeks, it was directly controlled by the rioters. What did they do in Canterbury, you might be wondering? Did they continue to loot stores, burn down government buildings, and generally fuck up the place? Or, or just tell tales? Well, in a way, they did. Um, they, well, to your question, not to my, not to my question, to your question. Um, the rioters decorated doorways with holly and shouted a lot, usually about the royalists of the Civil War. Hashtag Occupy Canterbury. Exactly. Put holly everywhere. In other places, semi-clandestine religious Christmas services continued to be held, and people sang carols in secret. <laughs> Definitely 1984, if you ask. Yes, I know, that's what it said. They sang carols in <laughs> okay, secret. Okay, just uh, huddled up in a corner of a closet. <laughs> Stopping occasionally to check around, make sure no one's listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... I de- <laughs> <laughs> Definitely very 1984, if you will, but more like 1684. <laughs> Holly Frank over uh, there, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thankfully, those who reveled in the Christmas spirit did not have to wait that long, as with the restoration of King Charles II in 1660, did the ban on Christmas end. The Puritans across the pond in colonial America also hated Christmas, condemning the a holiday both because scripture did not mention its observance and in part due to its rather boisterous way of celebration. In fairness to the Puritans, though, they hated damn near everything. Exactly. If it wasn't in scripture, exactly. If it wasn't in scripture, they didn't want it. And even if it was, they probably still hated it. Absolutely. Like indigenous peoples, fashion sense, one another, uh, women with general ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they just women that spoke buckles. Yeah. They weren't down buckles. for much of anything. I think they love yeah. the buckles. No, those are they the pilgrims. The yeah, pilgrims, pilgrims love a buckle. Pilgrims love Puritans. Yeah, they they made up for the the, the right. you know Puritans the hated buckle buckles. On everything. Throw yeah, that shit exactly. on a hat. Exactly. Buckle me, buckle daddy. That hat up. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> uh, many. <laughs> now the Puritans though they were buck cuck- uh, they were <laughs> buckle cucklers. <laughs> <laughs> buckle the cuckle Buckled. Cuckle the buckle <laughs> What a buckled um, <laughs> Many non-Puritans living in New England Deplored the loss of the holidays Enjoyed by everyone else um, As places like Boston outlawed, outlawed, outlawed Observance of Christmas In 1659 That makes sense Those Boston, Anybody that lives in Boston They don't get drunk They don't no, party No Exactly. No, just stone faced the whole time. Don't do anything. There's fun. truth in what you said, though, because if you were not celebrating Christmas, you were essentially an outlier. So they did outlie it to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while the ban on Christmas was later revoked in uh, 1681, um, it was not until it was not till the mid 19th century that celebrating Christmas became fashionable in Boston. Okay. For uh, real. Ev- Yes, for real. It it is weird. Like this is actually a part of Christmas like history that I wasn't even at all aware of. We're going to be learning a lot about American uh Christmas okay. history. Um not everywhere in America was as uh was a fanatical to the war on was as fanatical to the war on Christmas. Residents in both Virginia and New York observed the holiday freely. Pennsylvania Dutch settlers were enthusiastic celebrators of Christmas. In fact, settlers from the town of Bethlehem 
had the first Christmas trees in America as well as the first nativity scenes. Is the town name bullshit? No, no uh, yes, all of their there, towns. Are, yeah, there yeah. is a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. No, I knew that there was, but just the fact that they would be the ones on to, the nose, no, yeah. with the tree it, and all that. Jazz, I, I, I feel like, like they, I feel like the they had yeah. to. It was like they had to, you know, keep up with their, the, the yeah, name it's of their the claim city. to fame. Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, the Herald Angel sing mm-hmm. continue on, sir. Christmas did lose popularity in America during the American Revolution, in part due to it being seen as an English custom. And in part because they were all shooting at each other. Exactly. This was one of the reasons why George Washington had no problem ambushing the Hessian uh, mercenaries on the day after Christmas, uh, since the Continental Army had not celebrated the day prior, uh, but the Germans certainly did. Uh, Even after the Revolutionary War, Americans did not pick up celebrating Christmas for several decades until the early 19th century. Uh, One last place that I had found that had banned Christmas religious services was in Revolutionary France, particularly during the Reign of Terror. Uh, France established a state-sponsored atheistic religion called the Cult of Reason and wanted to remove aspects of Catholicism from the country. Mm. Is that bullshit? No, that is true. Yeah, um, I figure. I'm just throwing guesses out there so I don't miss the But two. also, no, you're yeah, good. like during the the age of terror, I find it strange that you wouldn't be celebrating anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I would be surprised if I went out at all, um, except for the state-sponsored beheadings. Yes, indeed. Uh, it just kind of falls in line with like, oh, you know, they weren't celebrating during the Blitzkrieg. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly. no time. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, this religion and the people controlling it only lasted for a year uh, before it was replaced with an even more cringy sounding religion. The cult of the supreme being uh, promoted by Robespierre, the guy who lopped off a lot of French heads before his was lopped off. Hmm. The early 19th century was a period of class conflict and turmoil. It was the Industrial Revolution, and people were moving to the city to cities in droves, trying to get jobs in those big, new, fancy factories. However, this was also when capitalists realized that, yeah, these people can work in the factories, but do they really need to do anything else like eat, sleep, spend time with their families, etc.? Uh, so with this drastic upheaval in society, rioting by the disen- uh, disenchanted classes often occurred during the Christmas season. You're already partying. You might as well just party hard because it's not like you'd have any other time to do so. In 1828, the New York City Council instituted the city's first police force in response to a Christmas riot. This fear of the lower classes getting too restless during the Christmas season motivated some upper class folks to do something about it. Enter our first villain of the story, best-selling author Washington Irvine. Irving. Irving? Irvine? <laughs> Irving. <laughs> Irving. Okay. Irvine. That's ends that's that ends with an E, not a G. Typically. Irving. Usually. Anyway. In 1819, he wrote the sketchbook of Geoffrey Can Crayon. Crayon. Yeah, crayon. Yeah, crayon. Mm-hmm. Crayon. Gentlemen, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Published by Crayola. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Waxy buildup. Um yes. Mm. Mm. Uh, a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English ma- manor house. The stories I mentioned are in his fifth American installment for all you Washington Irving stands out there who also got pissed off at me. <laughs> yes, yes, his name. They, there will be a lynching yes, soon. Torches mm. and pitchforks mm-hmm. on your front lawn. <sighs> Here's Already hoping. Already away the emails. Oh, man. 
The sketches feature a squire who invited nearby peasants into his home for the holiday. In contrast to the problems plaguing America at the time, the two groups mingled effortlessly. Instead of, say, demanding better working and living conditions and probably justifiably rioting when, rioting when the squire would refuse and sick his guards on them. Uh, in Irving's mind, Christmas should be a peaceful, warm-hearted holiday bringing groups of, uh, of people together across lines of wealth and or social status. Uh, I almost added that it, that this idea of bringing people across like together uh, reminded me of the role reversals from earlier holidays, but that would be wrong. There's no reversal of roles. Instead, this implies that we must treat everyone equally during Christmas, a step down from the role reversal. Mm. Anyways, enough ranting about the rights of workers. In the sketchbook, in particular, uh, the short story Christmas Day, Irving's characters enjoy, quote, ancient customs, unquote, of Christmas, including the crowning of a lord of misrule, which I'm happy that little custom hasn't been erased yet. Uh, however, while the book was written from the perspective that Irving himself had encountered these ancient Christmas customs, his book was not based on any holiday celebration he had attended. In fact, many historians say that Irving's account actually invented traditions by implying that it described the true customs therein. So uh, essentially, he just made up customs, said they were traditions, and expected people to follow them. So the idea of, you know, equality and reaching across the counter or the table and warm-hearted gift giving all that other stuff from a fiction Our, writer i no. can't believe it can't be our next writer contributing to this new christmas spirit was poet clement clark moore whose poem a visit from saint nicholas was written in 1822 better remembered by its first line twas the night before christmas the poem helped help popularize the tradition of exchanging gifts and seasonal Christmas shopping began to assume economic importance. This also started the cultural conflict between the holiday's spiritual significance and its associated commercialism that some see, rightly so, as corrupting the holiday. One author, uh, I might try, I might, I might get their name, her name wrong, Harriet Beecher Stowe. You did brilliantly. Yes. Uh, included a character in her 1850 book, The First Christmas in New England, who complains that the true meaning of Christmas was lost in a shopping spree. So we already had people complaining about commercialism right at the get-go. No, that was true. Oh, uh, which I thought was really interesting that, like, you yeah. know, people were already going against this commercialization even as it was starting. But really, we've just gone from having Christmas focused on Christ, you know, to shifting the focus to worshiping our new gods. Amazon? Know. Yeah, Amazon, Walmart. No, that's exactly what I was going mm, yeah, for. Yeah, actually, yeah, is like yeah. we we still idolize and worship. We just worship at the altar of the the same kiosk. day delivery. You know, oh. I, I think it's it's <laughs> funny because like there's a a dichotomy between the idea that you know Christmas should be based on Christ, and there's a separation between so Christmas itself was in fact you know if the story is to be believed, says so there's the asterisk people presenting him with gifts right so that it would seem to be in reason so i think where people start quibbling is that there it's not in the mode of the teachings of christ which was to live simplistically and to not have possessions and sort of share with others but yet there's similarities there too so it's a weird sort of like sliding scale of like okay well how do you 
if we're really commemorating the birth, like we should be giving him things, basically, if we want to ape that sentiment. But you know, how do you do that? We just leave things at shrines, or or just is generosity the thing? But yes, you can split hairs about this nonsense all day. But yes, we we do enjoy our consummation here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see here. While Christmas commercialism was gaining uh, a foothold in the States, we see another writer, uh, this time the British big shot Charles Dickens, write the 1843 novel A Christmas Carol. Never heard him uh, refer to which, Are you British big, <laughs> shot, British big shot Dickens? Well, I, even I, though he writes tales original- about impoverished children. <laughs> Thinks he's so damn high and hey, mighty. He's, he's what got a, a big, big name. Shot. Everyone knows like, him. He walks oh, into a, a club. Name? Yeah, he's yeah. Big yes, but yeah, he's... He, He's, yeah, I love that the Dickensian <laughs> stories is typically somebody who is, you know, in a derelict existence, basically, like, oh, big shot. Yeah, British big shot Charles Big Dickens, <laughs> writing about, you know, people that aren't British big Both shots. Both the best and worst of times, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, write the 1843 novel A Christmas Carol, which helped revive the spirit of Christmas and seasonal merriment. Its instant popularity played a major role in portraying Christmas as a holiday emphasizing family, goodwill, and compassion. Dickens thought, uh, sought, not thought, Dickens sought to construct Christmas as a family-centered festival of generosity, linking worship and feasting within a context of social reconciliation. And a fine fat goose. Su- mm-hmm. Uh, superimposing his humanitarian vision of the holiday in what had been teamed, uh, termed Carol philosophy uh dickens influenced many aspects of christmas that are still celebrated today in western culture such as family gatherings seasonal food and drink dancing games and a festive generosity of spirit. and crippled children and crippled children mm-hmm. especially most crippled definitely children. we we don't we don't judge we don't judge here we don't judge here. speak for yourself um we don't judge the crippled aspect of the children Anyway, moving on. Just the children Good themselves. save. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's not forget the phrase Merry Christmas also came from the book and was popularized following the appearance of the story. Not to mention the terms Scrooge, meaning miser, and bah humbug, a demissive attitude towards the festive spirit. In the same year A Christmas Carol was published, the first commercial Christmas card was produced. Is, uh, Christmas carols. Is this our, oh, is this, hey, I was going to say, are you doing a Hallmark callback here? No, nope, that is true. Yeah. The first commercial Christmas card was produced then. Um, the, the name was given, but Christmas I didn't. Christmas cards have been exchanged for long before that though. Yeah. But it was the first commercial mm. one. I see. Yes. Okay. Uh, Christmas carols were also growing in popularity with William Shandy's carols, um, as the first Noel. Uh, hark the herald angels sing so i just want to say because i want to make sure that we know these aren't this isn't the first time they're seen this is the first time they've been uh they've appeared in print mm-hmm. so these are obviously going to be older carols but Some this is the Shandy first time Dandy. they're being gotcha. yeah exactly so uh carols such as the first noel uh hark the herald angels sing god rest ye merry gentlemen uh and christmas time is here the christmas tree a christmas staple became popular with European royalty in the early 19th century, exemplified in 1832 when future Queen Victoria wrote about her delight at having a Christmas tree hung with lights, ornaments, 
and presents placed around it. After her marriage to her German cousin Prince Albert in 1840, the custom became increasingly widespread throughout Britain. This also spread across the pond. By the 1870s, Christmas trees had had become common in America, and with it came the Christmas card in 1875. All across the U.S. celebrating, um, sorry, all across the U.S. celebrating Christmas had be, had gotten much more mainstream. So much so that states were adopting Christmas as a legal holiday. By 1860, some 14 states, including several from New England, uh, had listed Christmas as a legal holiday. On June 28, 1870, Christmas was formally declared a United States federal holiday. Phew, we're around the corner for the final stretch. Ah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, instead of talking about major uh, events relating to Christmas in the 20th and 21st centuries, I would rather end this series with a bit of a game. I have a list of Christmas traditions, some old and some mm. new. Uh, I'm going to list them, and I want you to, to tell me if the tradition started in the U.S. or not. Okay? Intriguing. Yes. So... The first one is an obvious classic. The Christmas tree. Did it start in America or not? No, you just told us. Exactly. I just wanted it as a good example. Uh, Obviously, the tree was, you know, existed before the U.S. did, (laughs) dating back to Germany in the Middle Ages. (laughs) Yeah, the tree existed before human beings. Uh, You know what I meant. The idea of the Christmas tree. Okay, Okay, so then let's... Yeah, so really quick here then when given that the idea that Christmas tree was around, you know, since the Germanic with the Germanic people and all that, would that make it a lie earlier when you were talking about that it only like got popular in the 1800s? No, in as Queen in Victoria like and all that jazz. Well, it had spread to Britain. So it was like something that was localized and then it's in international. Germany. Exactly. Gotcha. It went global. Okay. Uh, big time platinum. Um with European settlers popular, popularizing Christmas trees in America in the early 19th century. Like Old said, man Peabody. Fun fact. <laughs> yes. Fun fact. A New York woodsman named Mark Carr is credited with opening the first U.S. Christmas tree lot uh, in 1871. So. The first car lot sold Christmas trees. Yeah. Exactly. Looks like Sam's hot car um, lot out there. <laughs> Uh, Because he said his name was Mike Carr. He did. Yeah. Mark Carr. Carr, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hard to believe. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next one. Christmas pickles. Since I didn't know this tradition existed, I will briefly explain it. A pickle being green is hidden somewhere on the tree and the first child to find it either wins a gift or gets to open the first Christmas present. So based on that, would you say traditional lie? No, it is true. Just okay. it is a true it is a true tradition. <laughs> it's weird. A sobering thought about a drunk uncle in here somewhere, and I'm just gonna leave that alone. That's yes. right. Just put your pickle in your mouth. Put Uncle's pickle in the mouth. So was this tradition? Did this tra- <laughs> but tradition it's sour? Just don't bite down. That's kids. called a dry um, sweat. Um, exactly. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yeah. that's international. Same. Okay. You are both wrong. It is an American tradition. It's likely that it grew from a Woolworths <laughs> marketing gimmick. Jesus. Yes, Why would Jesus. Anyone call Reason them for the season. Woolworths. 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 Mm-hmm. 
fuck. Um, marketing gimmick in the late 1800s when the retailer received imported German ornaments shaped like a pickle and needed a sales pitch. All right. Yeah. All right. Yep. Exactly. Okay. All right. You can call bullshit. No. I, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Don't understand it either. Um, advent calendars, you know, the ones with the little doors that you open one per day with candy inside. That seems, that's very oh, American. Those, those are international. To me, I'm oh. going to say that strikes me as American. American and then international. Early versions of this tradition started in Germany in yeah. 1903. Since then, uh, or back then, each door window would reveal a Bible passage, poem, or a small gift. Uh, since gaining mass popularity in 1920, the calendars have evolved to secular calendars that include daily gifts uh, from mini-, mini bottles of wine to nail polish to chocolates to action figurines. Or torture implementation. Yeah, I'm going to call bullshit, though, on the 1903 bit. Like, it, Advent calendars have been around since before 1903. Uh, well, that's what my source told me. So as, as far okay. as I'm aware, that is that is what... Okay. Yeah. So maybe this idea of the Advent calendar where there are little treats inside for each mm. day. Of course, there would be calendars that are specifically catered toward Advent, sure. But this sort of commercialized one, maybe not. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, gingerbread houses. International. Yeah, I'll go international as well, because okay. Hansel and Gretel and all that. Exactly, and that is what started them off, was Hansel and Gretel. who doesn't like um, to think about being cannibalized over Christmas? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, in an interesting uh, note, uh, according to my source, it was Queen Elizabeth I, the one from the 1500s, uh, who gets credit for decorating gingerbread cookies. Hmm. So... I thought that was a little bit of an interesting However, thing did add. she catch him first? Uh, asked him kindly. Broke his legs, actually. Okay. Broke his Reasonable. legs. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, ugly Christmas sweaters. I mean, the popularity or just in general? Because I'm sure that they have existed for quite some time. The, the party America. trend. Yeah, okay, America. Yeah. Both incorrect. Uh, it actually started in Vancouver, Canada in hey. 2001. According to the Ugly Christmas part, uh, Sweater Party book. Wait, is that for real? Yes. Holy mm-hmm. shit. That means that I would have gone to like the earliest like Ugly Sweater Christmas parties in. Because I was oh, going man. to Ugly Sweater Christmas parties in 01, 02, 03. Like that. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that I was <laughs> literally on the cutting edge man. of that trend. You are a hipster in terms of ugly Christmas here, sweaters. Yeah, that's right. I was I was doing it before. It was cool. <laughs> I thought they, you know, the Genesis was actually back with the Cosby Show, but that who knows? I remember. Ooh. I remember Ooh. in like it, it was like oh one oh two. So like when I was I was dating a, a girl that was just a, a couple of years older than me, and she asked me to go with her to like, you know, hunt in, uh, the Salvation Army and stuff like that to find like a really good, ugly uh, Christmas Did she, sweater. in fact, ask so, you if you want to destroy her sweater? Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I cannot believe that, like, because uh, those are my earliest memories of ugly Christmas sweaters. I just didn't realize that it was also anybody's earliest memories of ugly Christmas sweater parties. Well, there you go. Wow. Well, thank you for that little bit of information there, Michael. I thought it was interesting to Unless add. that's a lie, I swear. No, no, it's <laughs> all true. It's like, all true. Yeah, let me... That would have been <laughs> hilarious Existential if it was. crisis, yes. <laughs> um, I guess I ran out of uh, recording space. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There Let's it is. record That's for fine. three hours, he says. <laughs> My uh, audacity is still running, so we're fine. We're almost done. Um, candy canes, American or nah? Nah. Nah. You're right. Dates back to Germany <laughs> in 1670. Uh, they were brought to the States in 1847 when a German-Swedish immigrant in Wooster, Ohio, placed them on a tree. I only included that information because Wooster is a funny word to say. Not wrong. <laughs> Michael, you should have you should have made that Vancouver one a lie. Somehow you should have made that a lie. That would have uh you had me going there, like with the ugly sweater thing there. I, I went on the whole tangent and everything, and if that had been a lie, oh that would have been so good. I I don't know <laughs> your history, so I would have not placed you in such a way as to be going to the first round of ugly Christmas sweaters. Fair so. enough, fair enough. But just with the Vancouver name drop and stuff, just set me off on the tangent, and then I was just like, and that was why at the end I was like, wait a second, is this like Inception here? Did he just give me the ultimate mind? No. Fuck? See, there is your there. You made the same mistake, mistake again. You gave me too much credit. You're a rooster from Wooster. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, next one. My favorite drink during the season, eggnog. But not just any eggnog, boozy eggnog. Is that English, or American or not? English? International. Uh, American. Oh. So. Going prohibition. The, uh, the, this Yuletide cocktail stems from a medieval English drink called posset. Oh. A drink made with hot curdled milk. Which sounds absolutely appetizing. You say and curdled. You. I said curdled. <laughs> I was curdled. As far as I was aware, I'm sorry if I no, misspoke. You're fine. Uh, hot curdled milk and either ale or wine. American colonists popularized boozy eggnog and added rum, which I was not aware people did. I always thought it was supposed to be brandy added to eggnog, but I also don't drink eggnog with alcohol, so I wouldn't know. Wait, so was it American or is it international? So that's where I put <laughs> yes. both of those answers. The answer is technically eggnog as a, like, the precursor to boozy eggnog is English, but the idea of boozy eggnog is something that was popularized in America. So that's, I would say more international was the concept started. Oh, but you, but you said boozy eggnog. Not just eggnog, right? He well, did, but then it's like, had... you know, what constitutes booze at that point? Because, yeah, if it's got yes, alcohol but... in it in general, that to me implies boozy. Is boozy, so yes. I... Yeah. And posset yeah. did include wine and, and or uh, ale. So. And curdled milk. Ugh. Hot curdled milk, which does not sound appetizing at all. But again, it's England, so I was in knows? a band called Hot Curdled Milk for a while. It was a good time. <laughs> I believe it. We stank out every place um, we played. <laughs> uh, Christmas lights, specifically electric bulbs, Ooh. not candles. Oh, yeah. America. Edison. You were close with Edison. It was actually a friend <laughs> of his. Edward. <laughs> no. I said friend, not rival. Um. Edward Hibbard Johnson, who had the idea of stringing bulbs around a Christmas tree in New York in 1882. Well, and Tesla, technically. Which subsequently saved, no, please go ahead. saved a lot of homes. No, I was just going to say it subsequently saved a lot of homes because historically they would put candles on trees. So there was a lot of fires. Yeah, don't well, understand see, that. Tesla was decorating hillsides with bulbs in advance of that. So Also true. Um, last and certainly not least are poinsettias international you just mean their their popularity relative to the season 
Yeah, yes. yeah. The use of them for sure, the season. International, yes. Not just yes. the fact that yes. the flowers, yeah. Okay, you are both right. Uh, even though they are considered America's Christmas flower, at least according to one source, the plant was brought to America from Mexico by the country's first U.S. ambassador to Mexico, botanist Rob or Joel Roberts Poinsett in the 1820s. Mm-hmm. So there How you go. How marvelous. And, Interesting. and I also realized that um, I did do a date lie again. Was it about dates? It was about a date, specifically, oh, yes. You... But the so. fruit, a date? No. <laughs> Bad dates. No. <laughs> so, um, well, I that I did that where, you know, where would we be yeah. without some uh, malfeasance? But uh, exactly. I was going to say, my only thought is, uh, was Washington Irving actually the author of record relative to the story you were referring to earlier? Yes. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Was Charles Dickens, late? did he coin that phrase, Merry Christmas? I saw you well, thinking about that. That's what yeah. This... Uh, yeah, yes. He, he helped... Uh... It, the phrase Merry Christmas came from this book, which I pretty much used that exact terminology from the source. And then the, um, it's uh, synonymous with the turn of, and God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Any got other stamps? Uh, no other stamps then. Okay. Elizabeth. So, uh, if only. No. Um, so the first lie, I listed a bunch of carols. And I wanted to emphasize that it was their first time in print, but I did list them again, just in case. Um, First Noel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, and Christmas Time is Here. Oh, that's the Peanut song, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. And see, <laughs> list lies and date lies, those are tricky because the oh. list lie, you just, it literally gets lost in the shuffle because like... Once you stop and like enunciate each one, I'm like, oh, well, that's the peanut song. But you're right. I should have caught it. But just when you're reading off the list, I'm just like, it all just becomes a blur. I only like doing list lies if it's a blatant one because yeah, it can no, get that, lost. That's in that the one. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's fair. As soon as you like said it a little slower, I was like, oh, that's the fucking peanut song. How is that in the 18th? Oh, Confessedly, <laughs> I just hate Christmas music in general. So it is anathema Yeah, most to me. of these songs... Most of these songs are not familiar to me. The Christmas time is here. I barely remember it because I watched that show years ago. So that's I agree. Uh, and the second lie was a date lie. Uh, I said the um, Mark Carr opened his first Christmas tree lot in 1871. It actually opened before Christmas trees were really popular in the United States. It opened in 1851. Still Mark Carr. Still Mark Carr, though. I should have came up with something better. But I like that name, Mark Carr. Mm -hmm. Just rolled off the tongue and car and tree lots and yeah. Yeah. Uh, There we go. That is my three-parter on the history of Christmas. And appropriate. Did a three-parter on the history of Christmas without touching on Santa Claus or uh, Krampus. Yep. Or, you know, it's impressive. Yeah. There was a lot in there that I did not know. I didn't know that the United States didn't really celebrate Christmas for a long time. Particularly the Boston like, thing is stymieing. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. 
boggles my mind. So it was it was cool to learn some interesting facts like that. Um, once bosses learned that they could use mistletoe to sexually harass their female employees, Christmas blew up. Mm-hmm. Pun yes, intended. Did. Yes, it did. Well, <laughs> we'll leave you all on a rather engorged collection of material here, it sounds like. But you can unwrap this and a happy holidays to all of you out there listening because we are creeping up on the end of... Well, I actually, this will be... We're time traveling, folks. I hate to tell you. I don't want to let you behind the the curtain here, but yeah, this was. This will be the twenty sixth. This will be boxing yeah, day. Yes, so so we are past. Hey. So uh, happy holidays, all. I'm not naming any specific one. Just you know, whatever you feel like doing. I hope you enjoy. How the hell with that? The war on Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> God damn. Personally. Not gonna celebrate an imaginary man, but that's fine. <laughs> well, he wasn't imaginary; he was real. Just According all the other to shit whom? That they say he did was real. <laughs> Any, anyway, anyway, merry, no. happy, all the holidays, yeah, Christ and shit. checks, and all that yes. stuff. But as per usual, we thoroughly appreciate you being here, and we hope that you are thoroughly appreciating the you know Yule Tide here. Yuletide. Kiss your cousin. <laughs> but uh, please keep coming back. It well works if you work it, because we don't. This requires no effort, according to Michael. We don't dedicate any time to this. So, uh, as always, uh, I'm going to extol the virtues of you subscribing, because you don't want to miss this, obviously. So ensure. And it takes no effort. Yeah. It takes no effort to subscribe. Yes. Takes effort to unsubscribe. Trust me. Exactly. Anybody who's you know tried to cancel their way out of a, a, a bad purchase, it's rough. But uh, also, I will say that uh, let us know how we're doing. Please rate and review because we would love to hear from you. Michael yearns for engagement. It's the only present you have to give him this holiday season. He doesn't need anything else except socks, maybe. <sighs> love socks. That Michael. Yeah, socky it to the lesser. The doctor requires nothing for footwear. Because I don't buy socks on my own, so I still have socks that are like at least ten years old that are like blessed by the Pope. They're so allow old. me to uh, to steal Michael's line. Uh, the doctor cannot be contained, at least from the waist down. If we've learned nothing over the course of the show, that's right. I like to think of my outfits as uh, the. Dress equivalent of the mullet, okay? So up top, I've got, you know, the business casual there. You know, I'll always have a collared shirt or a button-up shirt. But it's party down below. Shorts and sandals, baby. And the bee's knees. But (laughs) I think that is going to get us there. And, of course, as you well know, or you should, there's a link down below in the show notes. That'll take you to all of our relevant socials so you can follow Engage there. And who knows? Maybe if you try hard enough, you might wind up as a co-host of this show. (laughs) Hopefully when I quit. But... I think that is going to finally wrap us up and get us cresting towards the end of this glorious year of our Dark Lord, 2022. So as we're inbound, I hope you all enjoy a happy new year as well. And we will wish you our fondest regards as we leave you. And for the Disinformed Podcast this year, I'm Shane. 
I'm Michael. And I'm Michael. And zippity <laughs> zippity soup, zippity we're out of here. here. Yeah.